Oh my God, inflation is rampant. What happens if my property prices drop 20% in the next year? Where am I going to go? QVT. Well, the two words that spring to mind is, let's be honest, calm and perspective. That's what it comes <laughs> down to. Regardless, I'll tell you in this show exactly why it doesn't matter if the property prices drop in the next year. It makes no difference at all. It'll hardly affect anybody at all as well. And we're going to talk through this process. I mean, the UK is currently experiencing the highest inflation rate since the early 1990s. This increase in prices has primarily come about by a combination of the increased demand for goods and services from consumers following lockdown last year with the global supply chain disruptions. Remember, this all happened before the war in Ukraine. Perspective. Most economists were too concerned about the increases in inflation rate, and the very same thing happened in the early 1990s following the credit crunch with a similar rise in demand and supply chain issues. Sound familiar? Thankfully, back in the 1990s, inflation returned to lower levels quite quickly. However, the situation in Eastern Europe now could change matters. So let me take a look at the factors and what it means for the Fife property market. Perry, do you want to cover this bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, morning everybody, I think the crisis in Eastern Europe has sparked even further rises in, in crude oil and diesel and petrol. We're all seeing that that's going up at the pumps. Um, oh, we're saved, though. We're saved. Uh, yeah. We're getting a five pence reduction <laughs> per year. <laughs> I know, but what does, what does that really mean for people? In, in all honesty, I mean, I passed a garage that's been in our local community media quite a lot recently, and what I noticed last night is actually they put their prices up before six o'clock by sixteen pence, and then reduced it by five. But actually, it's still ten pence more than it was last night. So exactly. work that out. I, do, I, do, I, I give you with one hand and I take away with the other. That's a, yeah. that's a typical government tactic, isn't it? Absolutely. So that, that was slightly confusing because I was walking thinking, okay, that's maybe going to be good. And then I saw that and I thought, actually, no, it's backfired again. So, you know, people are concerned about that. Obviously, they are. Um, but also, I think the fact that grain prices, you know, there's mass producers going on in Europe. We don't know what's happening with, with Ukraine, et cetera. And around the world, that's increasing prices, isn't it? So that's a bit of a, a sticking point for people because that's your national consumer pieces. That's you going into the supermarket and then yeah. suddenly your packets of rice, your packets of pasta, your bread, everything is a knock-on effect because of this grain situation as well. So not only is it costing you more money to drive there, when you leave the shop, it's costing you a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, we suggested in previous articles that inflation was going to be around about 7% in the spring, drop back to 5 in the autumn, and mm-hmm. then um, round about 3 or 4% by the end of the year. Yet with issues that inflation uh, could rise to 8 and 9% and by the late spring, uh, to still be around 6 to 7% in, in autumn, uh, well above the Bank of England's target rate of uh, mm-hmm. 2%, isn't it? So with, yeah. uh, and, and here's the key here. I think the most important thing, 
about inflation. Inflation, let's explain what inflation is. Inflation is the price of goods and services go up. Okay, it's monitored. So basically what's happening is the energy prices are going up, the petrol prices are going up, your food prices are going up, and the government monitor that. They take certain groups of items and they put them into what they call a, a virtual shopping basket and they monitor these every single time to see what the price points are and that's how they measure inflation in, a, in real terms. They used to have mortgage rates in there at one point in time but they ended up taking that out because it was skewing the figures when we went to astronomical rates of 15% in the in the uh, uh, mid or, or in the early 1990s, late 80s and we went to 15% interest rates. Um, yeah, 15% interest rates. That was a real eye water. Eye water. I was quite lucky. I was on a budget. So I was like on a budget. So I was at 9% interest rate. I was fixed for a year at 9%. So by the time the, the interest rate came down in a year's time, I was okay. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in here as well. We're going to cover that as well in this in this uh, show. Um, so uh, the key here is though, with five wages rising only 3 to 4% and inflation being 7% plus, Whole household incomes in, in real terms will fall, won't they? They will fall, absolutely. And, you know, people are challenged already with that. Um, certain industries are impacted differently, of course. Uh, you know, this is coming, we have to remember, this is coming on the back of the whole COVID situation as well. So, you know, lots of businesses, hospitality jumps right out at you, you know, the impact that it's had on them. And they've just started to get back into it and encourage their customers to come in. And now, actually, five people might be saying, well, hang on a minute, can I afford to? go in and have a meal and spend £20 when I can maybe cook a meal for a much cheaper and feed a whole family rather than just me and my friends. So it's about balancing all of that out now, isn't it? But it does impact on everything. All right. For people watching out there, what is impacting on you right now in terms of costs? We'd love to hear from you and give mm -hmm. you an indication, a rough indication about where the major impact is for most people in their lives right now. I tell you what, though, I would stay away from the news because see the news this morning, it's almost like they're talking about a global meltdown. And it's like, you know, this is what the news is designed to do. They won't sell any, um, I mean, they came on and went, yeah, it's a real great day today. It's very nice. And uh, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, that's the news. It's like, oh, I'm not watching that. But they, their jobs are on the line because that is their job to do that. So their job is to exacerbate the situation, uh, highlight it as worst as possible, and, 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 and get it all, everybody in a frenzy about the whole thing. You notice how the news is overtaken in terms of the uh, inflation, in terms of the war in Ukraine. And yet, China has had its biggest lockdown since the pre-pandemic levels. Mm -hmm. And yet nobody's mentioned a word about that at all. We've had more hospitalizations in, in, in Scotland and in the UK than any time in the pandemic, more or less. So mm -hmm. nobody's talking about that either. So you can see how the news manipulates people to the point of frenzy in order to get things happening. So this is all a bit about mental, mental, um, uh, mental obstacles that you've got to jump in your mind and actually see it yeah. for what it is. It, it is, is it's about, manipulate you. Yeah, it's about balance and perspective as well, though, isn't it? And sometimes when, you know, we've all been stuck to the news because of what's going on and we're we're all compassionate people at the end of the day and we're concerned about others in the world, but you do have to try and get that balance and perspective and it can be a bit of bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news and doom and gloom, as you say, which is why this potentially might help some people understand that a little bit more of the, the perspective with what we're going here's to share. A, here's a classic for you. Do you know petrol prices are actually cheaper today <laughs> than they were almost 10 years ago. I'll just say that again. Do you know petrol prices are cheaper today than they were 10 years ago? How could that be? Well, we'll cover that in a minute. 
Um, I, I mean, you know, five um, wage rises and right around the UK as well, it's at three, four percent. And as I say, inflation's at seven percent. Uh, it's interesting that the, the one of the richest guys, uh, richest MPs in the Houses of Parliament actually tells you to curtail your wage increases. Oh, sorry for you to say, Rishi. <laughs> You're minted, pal. Yeah, exactly. Right, okay. So let's start in real income to, in terms of fall. And this is because real household incomes characteristically have been the most consistent leading the take indicator of growth or drop in house prices. Um, I'll say that again. So household incomes have been the lead indicator consistently in the, in the growth or drop of house prices. So you would automatically assume that if you know incomes are dropping then house prices possibly might drop as well and this is because the growing inflation erodes the value of money that you actually earn which reduces the buying power and when your cash in your pocket has a lower spending power people tend to spend less um, and when they buy and rent of course a home and vice versa mm -hmm. Next, i mean monthly income tax thresholds will be frozen and we'll talk about that just now. Uh, national insurance contributions are actually increasing. Remember, national insurance and contributions are actually moving up by 10%. It's no 1.4 or whatever you're saying. It's actually 10% national insurance is moving up because you only paid 10% of your income before. And it's moving up 1.4% or whatever it is. So you're paying 10% extra national insurance. Um, admittedly, one of the things I actually liked about the fact that he's unified the personal allowance rate against the national insurance rate before it first kicks in. Now, you will benefit from the uh, the increase in the national insurance uh, threshold for lower rate to the to the 12,570, which is to go in line with the personal allowance. Uh, you, will, you will definitely benefit with that up to the level of 35,000 pounds. If you earn any more than 35,000 pounds, you will end up paying more national insurance. So for anybody that earns up to 35,000, you'll still be better off in terms of national insurance, but it will be tapered as you go up over the over the threshold, which is the £12,570, which is the personal yeah. allowance now. Um, so that will be it. That is a bonus to that. Um, and all these issues that created will, will have a drop, and as I said, and collectively, of around 2 to 2.5% 2 in the real disposable income of Britain's households in 2022. Uh, I mean real disposable incomes in economic terms are somebody's take-home wages after tax and then the effects of inflation are actually considered. So here's the key here. Will five people be more anxious to spend their money? Uh, with less money in people's pockets, people's inclination to spend money, and they do have, could, and also be curtailed. People's savings are at an all-time high. And, you know, that's basically the pandemic has done that, isn't it? It's the fact that it's been, pandemic has uh, done that. I mean, people weren't going out anywhere. People were living at home, so they didn't have the expense of driving the car to the office. So there's changes in that as well, obviously, because now things kind of go back to normal. We don't have these curtails put on us, and so people are travelling back to the office. But when they weren't going out, they were saving their money and they were sitting on the money. And actually, it's a mental thing, isn't it? When you see that pile of money start to, to rise, you kind of some people might want to hold on to it. Some people might want to use it to make more money. It depends really on where you sit in that, doesn't it? I keep giving that away to charity. <laughs> But that's a great thing, like, though, isn't it? Do you know why I keep doing that? Because I don't want to get my level of spending in my mind to a level that's higher than what I, I want to do. So, mm -hmm. And I feel that getting into the habit of consistently then spending the extra money I've got will get me into a habit of spending beyond my means when I need to actually go back to where I was. Um, mm -hmm. I, I live in a mentality of always stay broke because I always feel hungry. And I'm always determined to succeed as a result of that. 
Now, for mm -hmm. most people, they'll not get that, but that's how most successful people and most multimillionaires are in terms of their wealth and their, their, inco their income. They actually stay in that level and only earn a certain amount and they build their wealth at the same time. Um, so I kind of live in that. And so that's why I end up usually just giving it a charity. So when the Ukraine thing came up with Jordan um, um, and uh, Sarah out on the border, I just put money into that, into Siobhan's trust um, mm -hmm. at the same time for this month. And that's me kind of back down to my level of spending I would usually have. But that's, but that's a good thing to do, though, isn't it? And that's what people who are successful should be able to, to put that in. And it's all multiples, isn't it? And, you know, not, not everyone is multimillionaires or whatever, but, you know, you put your sum in and I put what I thought was my sum in and other people yeah. will put what they feel because every single bit of it helps. And, you know, the work that those guys are doing over there, it's just been fantastic. You know, and I think the most powerful image that I got out of it, you know, out with the video and, and listening to Jordan speaking about it was, the picture yesterday that was put up there of the, of the baby lying in the basket who was screaming with hunger and suddenly had a full tummy of, of milk and that was all down to the fact that people were doing these donations so people are careful what they spend but I'll it's tell you what where you I'm can gonna, spend it i'm going to say something that's maybe controversial and some people will not like this at all but they talked yesterday about putting a million people in britain into into poverty by by the budget and i mm -hmm. kind of think and when you look at ukraine i think well is poverty really that bad in Britain compared to what it's like in Ukraine? Yeah. Um, and, and I know that's not a popular opinion, but I kind of think, you know, when you look at someone else's situation, suddenly your situation feels a hell of a lot better than what other people's are as well because of what they've got and or what they've not got and what crisis mm -hmm. they're in just now. Mm -hmm. It goes back to what we said earlier, though. It's all about understanding perspective and, and working out where you can save and how you can make that benefit you, your family, and your life, isn't it? Yeah. And so all this can only mean there's going to be a house price crash. Woo! <laughs> Doing gloom. <laughs> or is it? I've seen a few things like that. It's like, oh, my God. It's like home alone, you know, when he runs on the stairs. Oh! <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, is it all doom and gloom? Or, I mean, it's really all doom and gloom. Or is it? Is it really? Let's put this in perspective. My heart goes out to the people caught up in the awful humanitarian crisis in Eastern Europe. Yet, I respectfully need to put that on one side for just a moment for the purpose of the, what we're talking about right now. Uh, this is about the Fife property market in general, and it, it can uh, extrapolate to further afield because we do talk about the UK circumstances as well. And, and Fife people want to know what's happening in our property market. In the first half, uh, half of this article, I looked at the impending fall and real disposable incomes of 2% to 2.5% in 2022. I appreciate that it's going to be tough for many families, uh, yet it's always important to consider what's happening in previous times. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what happened in previous times. In 1982, a drop of 2.3% in real disposable income. In 1992, a drop of 3.7% in real disposable income. In 2008, the credit crunch, a drop of 5.8% in real disposable income. Yet, it's going to be tough. Yet, we've got through 1982, 1992, 2008, and so shall we in 2020 to 23. The next is the price of petrol is a very high compared to a year ago. Yet, the average price of unleaded petrol, petrol is £1.51 per litre today. Now, I wrote this a day, a day ago, so it's now £1.46. <laughs> 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 really, I mean, 
Oh, but hold it, I've added 10 pence on, so it's now £1.56. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a jump um, from the £1.21 a litre a year ago. But here's an interesting fact. Petrol was a lot more expensive in real terms. Now, remember that. Petrol was a lot more expensive in real terms in 2011 than actually it is today. In today's money... A litre of unleaded petrol in 2011 would be the equivalent of £1.79 per litre. I'll say that again. If you extrapolated and actually took inflation into account and the price increases since 2011, the price today would be £1.79 per litre. And yet today, it's £1.51 per litre. So... We've got some way to go before we get to those levels. And again, the Fife economy and in general UK economy and property market kicked on quite nicely after 2011. So what are, what are five people spending on their rent and mortgages? You want to cover that, Perry? Rent yeah, I mean, yeah. What are five people actually spending on their rent and their mortgages? And well, I mean, there's a bit of detail here, so I might have to qualify certain figures and certain numbers just so people understand this and get perspective in this as well. I'm a real numbers person, but when it comes down to it, it can be quickly misconstrued in certain ways by how people hear certain things or mishear certain things. So let's go over this, Perry. Yeah, so housing costs uh, owner-occupiers that are spending on average 17.3% of their household income on a mortgage in 2015. Yet in 2021, this had risen, albeit to 17.7%. Um, it's not a massive increase, but I think, Jimmy, Jim, when you go through the actual detail of what that increase means in real terms, people can qualify that for themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting um, when we talk about, remember, we're talking about the spending on average is 17.3% of their household income. So mm -hmm. I'm talking about household income. I'm not talking about one person's income this time. Because yeah. a lot of people out there will be saying, wait a minute, that my mortgage is an absolute fortune in my housing costs compared to, compared to that. It's no 17%. But this is mm -hmm. overall household income we're basing yeah. on. Um, so that's the difference in, in what this number is. And that's why, because in previous shows, I've actually said it's about 34%. And in the, credit, in the credit crunch before then, it was about 54%. But that's of one person's income, of the yeah. average, yeah. average, average UK salary. But this is housing costs of overall income. Okay, so what about council house and social tenants then? So council house and social tenants, they've seen a drop in the rent from 29.2% in 2015 to 26.7% in 2021, um, whilst private tenants from 364 in 2015 to 312 in 2021. So well, that's basically the same. Exactly. Pa Patrick Harvey's beating his drum saying rents are going out of control and he's going frenzy. He's got he's throffing at the mouth saying <laughs> we need rent controls. But now we've actually established that private tenants' income or their, their drop in the rent has gone from 36.4% of their income in 2015 to 31.2% .2 in 2021. So what's all this fuss about? You know, that's, that's um, it's interesting that private tenants are proportionally 14.29% better off in 2021 and 2015. Now, if you're a private tenant, you won't like us saying that, but that is the figures. You know, because mm -hmm. everybody thinks their their burdens more. You know, they're carrying a higher burden. But the reality is, that's what the figures are saying to us. You're fourteen percent proportionally better off in, than two thousand and fifteen than you, than you are today. 
And so that's that's the thing. So how do we spend our money? Uh, do you want to cover that as well, Perry? How how we spend our money? Yeah. So how we spend our money? The average UK home spent four point two percent of their household income on energy in twenty twenty one, and that's due to rise to six point three percent after April, and probably up to seven percent in October. That's yeah. a big jump for people. Um, Joanna Gibbings, you make a valid point. There are already people in the UK who are going without food. Some are now avoiding food and can't be microwaved because they can't afford to use the cooker. This will only get worse with rising prices. And I think we're seeing that, Jim, isn't it? People are now thinking about not only what they buy, but it's how they're going to then cook what they have. Yeah, I think I think as well, it's all about being able to budget properly as well. There's a, there, there is people out there, we've seen it all before and things. It's mm-hmm. all about making sure you budget properly. It's all about making sure you look at the costs that you're actually... This is where it comes down to luxury items. In times like this, if it does happen uh, and you have to cut back, in times like this, it's luxury items that suffer straight away because you don't need them anymore. Do I, really need my, do I really need my maximum subscription for Sky TV? Do I really, do I really need one gigabyte of broadband? Do I really need, you know, all these different things? Do I really need my full package on my mobile phone? Do I really need the latest mobile phone? It costs me £50 a month. It's mm-hmm. like it's all these different things that you can look at individually. While it doesn't seem a lot and it's in, and it's separately on its own, if you take all these things into the full circle and compound it all and pack it all together, you're talking about you could possibly save about two or £300 a month. I mean, if you could save two or three hundred pounds a month, that's about three grand a year. What do you need to earn top line to get three grand a year? About five thousand pounds. If mm-hmm. the average salary in in the UK and Fife as well is thirty thousand pounds a year, and you're five thousand pounds to earn that, you, that's a sixth of your efforts you've got to do just to pay what is perceived now. When you look at it, as the luxury items in your life, do mm-hmm. you actually really need them? And exactly. that's what that's the things that suffer. I think one of the, the words you're using there quite a lot is need. And I think that's what, you know, I've certainly, when I've been looking at my numbers, started, and when we're going to talk about some of the other items that we've got here, it's very much about what do I need versus what do I want? And how can I make my life balance better, isn't it? And that's a big difference yep. as well, isn't it? To, to, to manage that and put that extra money towards the things that we are at the moment concerned about, which is our fuel and feeding our families and paying our bills. Um, want versus need is a big thing and we talked about that there about the fact that it's kind of going to be possibly going up 7% in October for our fuel yet as a country we spend 9% of our income on restaurants and hotels and we spend 8% on recreation and culture um, yeah. when when I saw that 8% on recreation and culture I understand that and you know everybody loves to, to do great, great things and, and see beautiful things but one of the things I've started to do to kind of save a little bit is walk along our beach. I did a little video about it this morning and how beautiful it was. And, you know, I could have yeah. been on holiday and it was very peaceful to me, but, and it was free, you know, so it's about then having that balance of what do I need to spend money on and what do I really want to spend money on? Um, and it's about trying to come up with the things that work best for your family. Isn't that's, it? that's my concern about the news because the news is exacerbating this almost as a, a frenzy to the yeah. fact that they're, they're almost trying to grind people to a halt where they say, whoa, wait a minute, stop spending and stop buying. I mean, the worst thing you could do for your economy is to stop people spending and buying because the reality is everything grinds to a halt. And it doesn't just affect the people that you're buying it from. It affects you as well because you're the person It works for that person. It makes mm-hmm. that product to sell you it back. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a circle. It goes around, well, circle mm-hmm. of life, really. 
and Absolutely. how the economy, economic situation works. So if you stop spending on stuff, it puts somebody else at a different position and they stop spending on your stuff. So therefore everybody goes, and it's almost like this, it's almost like when you get to a motorway, you know, you get to a motorway and you see a big pile of traffic coming along and you've got a huge queue of traffic and you're all sitting in this traffic for the next two hours. That's what they're doing to the economy right now with the news. That's what they're trying to do. They'll get everybody to a point where they're all sitting in this big queue on the motorway. And then you get to the end of it and you come out and you think, what was all that about? There's nothing here. Like, how, how did that happen? It's, and, and that's effectively what potentially could happen right now as a result of this frenzy at the the news and the media is actually putting on to us. I think um, it goes so, back to what we started out the conversation with Jim as well in regards to, as you say, it's about what we spend and the knock-on effects of consumers, suppliers, makers, you know, it's the whole supply chain that can be impacted by this, by one all these different changes. And it's making yeah. sure that people kind of have a bit of understanding of what is important in their lives and manage that accordingly. And that sometimes can be a challenge, can't it? Yeah. I love the bit we've got about the, 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 the house price crash. We're coming up the now with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's complete perspective and it puts everything into, into the perspective as it is now. And it's like, we should not be panicking at all about house price crashes because mm -hmm. even if it does happen, wait to see what wait to see how that affects us. It, it really won't to a degree. Um, so moving on from that, I mean, it's really just all the aspects of life. It means choices and we'll have to forego some luxuries as a result. Just before I move on to the aspect of, the, of this, and again, appreciate I'm talking about averages here. And many people on low incomes, it's just exactly what Joanna said, have suffered in fuel poverty. They will find the increase in energy prices hard. And my, my thoughts go out to you completely about that. Um, it really is looking at what you're doing outside of this and where your money is going and actually reallocating it to a thing. It's, it's, it's the need rather than actually what you want, what it comes down to. Interest rates, uh, higher inflation, generally bought under control, uh, using higher, I mean, higher inflation is actually generally, it's the, it's the one club approach, isn't it? It's the, it's the let's put interest rates up to do that, meaning mortgage payments will be higher, therefore take more money out of your pocket. I still don't understand what's going on here because my thought process is, if that's the case and you're going to get house owners to pay more money for their mortgage, why do you not just put tax up and then you put no interest rates up? Therefore, you'll be getting more tax revenue and you'll be paying off your debt quicker and you'll not be paying £83 billion in interest to the Bank of England, uh, which subsequently we own. So we're paying our money and £83 billion to the Bank of England, which we own in the first place, for money we've lent ourselves. Oh, wait a minute. I, I really have to... I'll have to go and have a lie down about that and think about that when you... Mm -hmm. It's like, it doesn't make sense, does it? We are paying ourselves for borrowing our own money and the interest that we've got. Um, and and yet, uh, it, it just blows my mind. So where is this 83 billion going to? I could have a real rant about this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of did yesterday, Jim. Who has got this 83 billion that we are paying in interest? Where is that going? Because mm -hmm. Mr. Banker is creaming it just now. I've got a funny feeling, and I, 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 I can't disagree with a windfall tax should have been put on the people that are actually benefiting hugely from this, and in terms of oil prices increasing just by natural war, um, and also um, um, other things as well that are happening just by what's happening round about us. Mm. So I don't, I don't believe it that that you know what was done yesterday is necessarily the way forward for what we should be doing. Um, I agree, and uh, it goes back to what you said there a minute ago, and it's what a theme that is going throughout the whole program so far is that 
sometimes that priorities are all wrong and it's the lower ended income people that sometimes are struggling further but the higher end income people don't seem to be contributing to assist in the lower end do you know what i mean so for me that that's quite a frustrating thing um shan makes a great yeah. comment jim i don't know if you want to show yeah that, i'm going to put it up and i'm going to say it i was sitting next to and it's exactly the same same situation and i think everybody will appreciate this I was sitting next to someone in the hairdresser who says, I've only got £10 to put in my meter for my gas and electricity, but she can't afford it. Yet she was sitting getting hair extensions at the cost of a few hundred pounds. Sometimes people's priorities are completely all wrong. I, I, I can't disagree with that at all, Sharon. It goes back to what we were saying about needs, wants, must-haves, and prioritising and foregoing luxuries or not. Yeah, I, 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 I've got to, I've got to say, I have seen it. Um, we've been a landlord for thirty years, and and and, and it is genuinely that where you kind of think when you walk in and it's got Sky TV, I've got a mobile, we're taking taxis to the shops, which is literally a couple of hundred meters down the road. Um, you know, but but you know, it's all these different things, and I'm thinking, oh, no wonder you can't afford anything. You didn't understand what's going on around about you, and it's often I've had to sit down people down and educate them and say to them do you realise this is where all your money's going mm-hmm. and you could easily save that as a result of what you're doing? Um, some people, it went right over their head and other people were like, I never even realised that was happening. I've got so much into the habit of, you know, doing the same thing all the time. I, I, I just didn't realise I could actually save a lot of money that way, just as what I talked about in the beginning. So I think as well, it's about people, I think people as well, Jim, it's about also doing a wee financial health check on yourself. You know, we look after our general medical health, we look after yeah. the health of our family, but sometimes, as you say, we just get into habits and the direct debits come out and we have what's left and we just keep going with that cycle, don't we? And annual policies get renewed and we just keep going because we don't take the time to do anything about it. But if we actually did that financial health check as well, you know, all those extra 10 and 20 pounds that you maybe could save somewhere all add up to a nice sum that could actually fill a black hole that's sitting somewhere else and you don't actually maybe realise that it exists just now because that exercise is not taking place. Yeah. So... Absolutely strong will to do that. Martin Lewis gives you lots of tips online about how you can do that as well. So, you know, for, for people out there, again, who are thinking, how am I going to juggle everything? Look at that, because it might help you be able to strip back some things without actually forgoing anything, but actually do it in a more economical way. Yeah. We spend more time planning our next holiday than we do on our financial future. Yeah. What does that say? Okay. First. 79% of homeowners with a mortgage are on a fixed rate. This is why it won't have an impact moving up interest rates, really. The only people it's going to affect is businesses. And businesses are the lifeblood of our economy because they employ people and pay them as a result. So, therefore, interest rates putting them up isn't going to curtail the situation for, uh, for homeowners because almost 80% of homeowners are on a fixed rate mortgage of two and five years. So, any rise won't be instantaneous. Yet, there will be a bizarre side effect from the issues in Eastern Europe, possibly. Surprisingly, though, the current situation in Eastern Europe is by its very nature will bring greater UK inflation. Um, It will probably defer the Bank of England raising interest rates, which is a good thing. Uh, This means mortgage rates won't increase as much as the bank uh, won't want to exacerbate any pressures on the UK economy in 2023-24 caused by this conflict that's going on. Um, the stock market as well, let's look at that, had priced an interest rate rise of 2% by the end of 2022. Uh, I suspect it will now be no more than 1% to 1.25% by Christmas. 
Um, there, there's the C word coming in. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, what is that? Three hundred and forty-four days. To, <laughs> it's only nine Stop. months to Christmas. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, slowly going up in quarters. Um, maybe one percent. Uh, uh, every few months, possibly. Um, uh, Eastern, the crisis in Eastern Europe may have come to be seen as a defence for higher inflation uh, throughout 2022, all meaning everyone's mortgage will be less as a result of that. Um, so next, what, what we're going to look at, consumer confidence. You want to talk about that, Perry? Yeah, I mean, the consumer confidence index, these indexes are fickle things, really, aren't they? Um, I prefer to look at organisations for economic cooperation, development consumers. Um, the confidence index really is for me, a larger sample, um, a longer time frame to compare against in regards to how it's really going to impact us because you're looking back years rather than yeah. a month or a day or a week and it gives us a good feel for it, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Looking at the data from the mid-70s, the drop in the consumer confidence is big, yet nothing like the drops that we've seen in the oil crisis in Absolutely. the mid-70s. You know, that, that, that was huge. Recession in the early 80s, again, the crisis of 1992 and the global financial crisis of 2008. Now I remember that because I was in financial services at the time yeah. um, and had been for a very long time. And I think that's then really when we saw a bit of a bust. Um, but also when we compared to other main economies of the world, the G7s, for instance, um, the UK has always bounced back much more quickly from recessions when it comes to consumer confidence. Um, so what does that mean about house prices in five and 22, 23? Well, Increasing energy prices, rising inflation, um, all increasing of sanctions and probably uh, the, the probable drop in consumer confidence spending in the aftermath of the conflict will have a knock-on um, post-pandemic global recovery, um, which will lead to recession around which will lead to recession around the world, including the UK. Um, you know, a recession is where really the economy's GDP, gross domestic product, drops in two consecutive quarters uh, for the last three hundred years there has been a direct link, okay, between British house prices and GDP. Uh, when GDP drops, you usually find that house prices fall as well. Yet in 2020, the British GDP dropped nearly 12% and house prices went the other way. First time ever that that's ever happened. But let's look at what would happen if five house prices did drop by the same extent they did when the global financial crisis happened in 20, uh, 2008 and 2009. So when the credit crunch came in in 2008, 2009, let's look at what would what house prices would happen if that happened again. House prices in Fife dropped by around about 18% in the global financial crisis and in the credit crunch. The biggest drop in house prices for over 16 months ever recorded in the UK. Uh, now, the average value of a property in Fife today is £166,836. Now, that's still really affordable for a price, isn't it? For a house. Yeah. You know, that's really affordable. Um, now, meaning, if Fife house prices dropped by the same percentage in the next 16 months, an average home locally would be worth £136,972. Now, we'd be panicking at that point because it's like, whoa, wait a minute, that's a £30,000 decrease. Okay, mm -hmm. on the face of it, it doesn't sound good until you realise it would only take us back to five house prices a year ago. 
exactly. <laughs> it only takes us back to five house prices a year ago. Because we went up 16% in five in the last year. So we're back where we were a year ago. No mm. big deal. House mm. prices have crashed. They've crashed as much as they were. Look at this for a headline in the news. Five, uh, house prices crashed to levels of the of the global financial crisis in 2008-2009. That sounds extremely scary. But the reality was, for Fife, that's back to last year. Mm -hmm. So how does that affect anybody? So yes, that will mean that if they do drop uh, by uh, in price, then that means really that 5% of Fife homeowners who have moved in, the, in their home since July 2020 will lose out of they sold their house at the price crash. But how many people are actually going to move in the next year? You know, yeah. since, they, oh, I've only bought a year ago, I'm going to move again this year. That's not going to affect them at all. So, again, perspective. This is what this show is all about. Perspective and calm throughout mm -hmm. the process. But how many people move home after only being in their house for literally a few years? Not that many. On average, most people move home, 50% of the population move home within eight to nine years. The other 50% move after that. Mm -hmm. So it is perspective. Eight to nine years will be back to where we were, if not way beyond. The simple fact is that 95% of five homeowners will be better off when they move if the house price actually crashes. Oh, wait a minute. What have you just said, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> what have you just said? Hold oh, it. Controversial. Controversial. Come on. Calm down. Calm down. All right then, all right then. <laughs> the simple fact is 95% of five homeowners will be better off when they move if house prices crash. And all this assumes there will be a crash in the first place. Yes. The simple fact is the circumstances of 2009 that have caused the property crash are entirely different to 2022. 2009, no lending by the banks, higher interest rates, increased unemployment compared to today's increased lending. There's a huge amount of money of supply in the system right now. You know, I'm not going to tell you what I'm getting from a bank, but it's a scary figure. And the bank's like, you know, people have their money in the bank. Do not, shouldn't have your money in your bank. You should have your money invested wisely. Because you know what they do when you put your money in the bank? They come to me and go, Jim, would you like to borrow their money? And I'll charge you a higher rate. Why do you know just come to me direct and I'll give you the higher rate anyway? <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. Eh? You go to the bank, the bank goes, we're giving you nothing. And they go, Jim, would you like to borrow money? We're going to charge you 4%. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> and then That's why people do property investment. The bank want you to buy a house because they want you to take a mortgage because that's how they make their money. This is, all, this is almost like, a, dare I say, a pyramid selling game by the banks <laughs> to get you to get a, yeah, you get a house because you can get a mortgage as well and we can make money. Just, well, it's, the one thing, it's the one thing that everybody needs, isn't it? You know, we talked about needs and wants. A house is something that everybody must have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everybody must have because they need a roof over their head. But do you really need to buy your house? I see there's a wee shift there. Yes. There are shows about this before, about Aye. the fact that renting versus owning. And mm -hmm. here's the key here. If you rented your house right now, the one that you've bought, you're sitting in right now. Now, not for you, Perry, obviously, because you've just moved. But if you rented your house right now and you've been in your house for a lot of years and you didn't own it, would you still be in that house today? And most people would actually say, probably not, because mm -hmm. I don't own it, so I could move anytime I want. 
And that's where the difference is, lies in terms of renting versus buying. Everybody's convinced it's like, I've got to buy a property. I have to buy a property. I have to get in the property ladder. Okay. Um, you're not going to make any more money because what happens is all you're doing is paying the bank mortgage and making them money. And then what you're doing from there is it's costing you money to maintain your house. And then when you go to sell your house, you don't make any money because you're going to buy another house at the same price point. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, so you're just trading, just trading a house for a house. The yeah. only person making money is the bank. And everybody else is, you're having to do repairs for <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, did I say it's a con? <laughs> but keep selling your houses because we need you. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about the bigger picture and you look at it in that dimension and you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, there's something going on here that is like smoke and mirrors um, to a degree. And if you break that all down, it sometimes looks like that. The simple fact is the circumstances of 2009 aren't the same as they are today. I do believe with all that happening in the world, we might see a rebalancing of the five property market later in 2022 and could see the odd month where negative growth in the house prices, yet it will be nothing like 2009. Um, I'm still thinking, uh, I'm still in my mind thinking, maybe this could end up double digits by the end of the year in terms of house price rises again, and uh, because there's a complete lack of supply. If you talked about, I mean, the house price index for right move, I mean, have you read that, Perry? About the, yes. the, the price going up and everything like that. Do you, want, do you want to cover some of that? Do you want to cover some of the summary of that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really jumped out for me, and again, we talk about prices increasing and then talking about prices dropping. Um, you know, in Britain, it was a, another record high, according to Right Move, for the last month. Yeah. Um, and prices jumped by 1.7%. So that was actually up nearly £6,000 um, on the month before. So we're now at 354 564 for the and average. Think about that. Look, you just said the average price in UK is 354,000, yet Fife is 167. It's half. That's half of the price. Exactly. But it's And yet the average salary in the UK is about 31,000 pounds. The average salary in Fife is 30 grand. Exactly. It's like, wait a minute. So it's it's more affordable to live in Fife. Absolutely is. But don't tell everybody because we don't want them all coming here. I know. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just push house prices up. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's the first time ever, though, that it's broken through that barrier of 350,000 in the UK yeah. for an average house price. So, you know, that, that's yeah. quite a large amount. But again, it goes back to what we were saying about perspective versus the, what we are in five compared to the rest of the UK. So when you're watching that news and you see all the drama behind some of it, you know, we're not quite, it's not, as you say, it's not comparing apples with apples, is it? Yeah. Absolutely. It isn't. It isn't because it's different ways at the door. It's different at local economies as well. Um, I mean, the most the, the, the most expensive sector is the four bedrooms. You know, that's what people are going for round about here, round about the UK. Yet the, the best sector for us, the more popular sector for us is three bedrooms. Yes. Um, and it's three bedroom, tends to be three bedroom semi-detached. Yeah. Um, the only one that goes against that is actually the East Nuke where the East Nuke area is actually apartments is the most popular uh, choice there. Yeah. I think that's probably driven by the holiday home market and the, the service accommodation market. Absolutely, because it's such a beautiful place and, and it does drive it a bit, doesn't it? So what's driving up this house price then? Is it lack of supply? Uh, I don't think it's a lack of supply as such. I think it's a, a general review that people have had of their lives, isn't it? And how they move forward and the changes that they yeah. want to make in their lives because of COVID, isn't it? And everyone's been stuck. And so actually what we need from a home is very different today than what we needed from mm -hmm. a home two years ago. 
And I think that's what's driving it. It's a rebalance of what's needed. It's a rebalance of what's important in life. It's a rebalance of actually I don't need to do the commute. And that's yeah. making the difference, I think. Hmm. I'm going to quickly share the screen and show you how many properties are actually sitting available. Um, so we, we talk about uh, a year ago, there was probably around about 700 properties in the market. Pre-pandemic, there was probably about 1,200 properties in the market. At this point in time, there is... 468 on the market. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is an extreme shortage in supply right now, and that's what tends to be driving the market as well. I mean, look at this. You're getting a three-bedroom end-terrace house for 90 grand. Uh, then you've got a two-bedroom end-terrace house uh, for 70 grand. Uh, I mean, where could you get that? I mean, that's affordable, isn't it? It's affordable. I think the challenges, and this is what Rightmove are saying as well um, in this article that on the house price index, and actually anyone can access this if you go into the Rightmove house price index and it can give you a feel for where things are. So if you're an investor or you're someone who's looking to purchase for the first time or upgrade, downgrade, whatever you look to do, it gives you a bit of a feel for it. But what they're saying is that as we enter the spring selling season with the biggest mismatch between supply and demand for the first time ever this year, by measured by right move, what they're saying is there is more than twice as many buyers out there yeah. than there are sellers. And that's the key. And that's what's driving the prices up because buyers are becoming frustrated because they need to move. So for sellers out there, it absolutely is a seller's market because there's people start waiting to do it. And then actually because of the frustrations, perhaps they have changed that they don't want that four bedroom now, Jim, they're going for that three bedroom semi-detached because yep. actually they're wanting need, they might have to realign because the other ones are just not coming along. Um, and that's really making a difference in regards to it. Um, again, also what they're saying, the chance of finding a buyer in the first week is that it's highest point ever. Mm -hmm. Twice, twice as many as it's ever been before compared to 2019. So actually, yeah, what we're seeing is that we're, selling, we're selling properties before they even get to our website. Just what I was going to say. And, and, and we're selling and the same that gesture for us is, and, and Rightmove know this is what we're doing. We're just mm -hmm. putting on Rightmove for one day. It's actually sold already. It's going on Rightmove for one day, and we're just putting it sold the next day. And the only reason we're having to do that is purely for the fact that um, purely for the fact that we'll have to register the statistic. Because if we put it on sold straight away, it'll make, it'll, it'll make it look like we're taking ages to sell a property. But in actual fact, we're selling properties in negative numbers, negative Ds. Mm -hmm. We're selling them before they get on a website. We're selling them from social media. Mm -hmm. We're selling them from YouTube. Um, that's the that's the key out there. One wee bit of advice to everybody out there. If you're wanting to see the properties before anyone else, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You need to subscribe to our YouTube channel because that's where we're going to put them on before anyone else. A lot of people have actually worked that out, and there's about 500 people on there already. And there's about 15,000 views on that YouTube channel every single month. But a lot of people have worked that out and said, I better subscribe to the YouTube channel because I get instant notifications. So if I do miss the pre-portal launch and I miss the social media launch, I still see it going on there before it gets on a website. Mm -hmm. And that's the key here. So subscribe, follow our Facebook channels if you can. If you don't have a Facebook account, then follow, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you will see it going on YouTube before it actually goes on our website as well. Yeah. We have to upload the video to go into YouTube to link to the website, and that goes on a couple of days before. One of the other things I would say as well, though, about this house price index, and actually we see this sometimes, Jim, don't we? So whilst there are twice as many buyers as sellers out there, and you might ask Jim's comment there about putting it on right move for one day and then it's sold, what, what would be the point in that? Actually, the reason for doing that is it helps our seller 
And the reason it helps our seller is if something goes wrong with that potential buyer, yeah. our seller has still been able to market that property. If you're following our YouTube channels, if you've shown interest in it and perhaps lost out, what we then find is if that sale falls through, actually it doesn't tend to go back on the website. It doesn't tend to get re-advertised because actually the second person in line will come forward and say, it's fallen through, can I have it? And then it's sold again instantly. So again, it's putting yourself in that strong position, isn't it? Imagine having a second bite at the cherry. That's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about, isn't it? We talked about it this morning. A second bite at the cherry. And that's exactly what you can get out there. Make sure you register with us because any of the house, you walk past, you're walking down the street and you go, wait a minute, there's a sold board there. I never even knew that property came on. How's that sold already? Oh, well, I've missed out on it. But you might not have missed out on it. And this could apply to any estate agent. So make sure you register for that property because apparently, according to the statistics, not our statistics, by the way, but on average. So somebody else's other side of that average, because <laughs> we're below that average, because <laughs> hardly any of us fall through. Um, but 32% of properties are actually sold and under offer actually come back onto market. So somebody must have about 50% of their properties falling through because we're way below, below that. Mm -hmm. um, but still, if a property falls through, and I've told people this time and time again, if it's, if it's sold, Still tell the stage you liked that property, you loved it. Look, if, it, if anything happens to it, then please bear me in mind because I'm in a position to proceed. We got all your information. And then therefore, as a result, you get second bite of that cherry. Nobody else sees that because it doesn't go back on the market because it goes straight back to the people that are already waiting in the sidelines, in the, in, on the side of the stage. They're waiting to come in and do their bit and all the rest of it. So that's exactly what they do. We just go to them and go, are you in a position to proceed? You're absolutely, because we primed you before. You're going to pay the same price as what they did, possibly even more. Absolutely. Because we've done that and put it back on and actually got more. <laughs> Worth that one out. Um, so we've actually we've actually got more for our client as a result of property falling through. Um, um, but the most important point is you as a buyer, you're then registered for that property if that changes. If you're struggling out there to find your dream home because it's all getting sold before everyone else, these are all the tips and techniques and tricks you should be using. Um, you know, there's no doubt about that. You know, Perry, I, you know yourself, I've just bought another one the other day. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's before it even really got to market as such because, uh, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm primed. So when something happens, it's like I'm straight in there right away because I understand all the ways that you can actually get in touch with someone to get a property. Um, so there's golden opportunities out there for people as buyers to get a second bite of the cherry. Please register us even though a property is sold. It also gives you an indication, and I'll talk about the next one, is when we go out to evaluation. When we go out to evaluation, we know you're interested in that property because you've registered us prior to that. This is top secret. How would you like to know about the top secret properties that we've got before everyone else? before it even gets to market, before it gets to a pre-portal, before it gets to a website, before it gets to YouTube, before anybody else hears about it, and even before, just as we are going to value it, you can get to find out about properties that we're going to value in an area if you're interested in them, so we can go to the person. We've got people lined up for this already. There possibly is an off-market deal to be done or a chain build that can be done as a result as well. You might not even see that property coming into market, and you've missed out on it completely because it's been sold off-market. So that's another thing that you're going to miss out on. So watch out. Second bite of the cherry, top secret. These are the two things you need to register with us for. These are the these are the things that you need to register for to make sure you're first in line with before everyone else.
Okay, that's my back done. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk now, Perry. <laughs> no, that's funny. Did I get that all out once? Did I get that all out with no full stop? You stops, did. No I comment. was wondering if you were going to take a breath. But no, you know, we kind of got a bit digressed a little bit there, but that came about because of the house price index. It's just come Absolutely. out firing move. And I think that what we're trying to do is just show from this whole discussion that we've been having is that simple fact is circumstances of 2009 that caused the property crash entirely different from the circumstances that we face just now in, yeah, in, in current times. Um, as you said, Jim, and we, we talked about that, about the lending and interest rates, etc. But is what's going to happen around the world? We might see a rebalancing of the five property market later in this year. Um, we could see that the old month with little negative growth in house prices, yet it will be nothing like what we've seen in the past. And I think that's what we need to keep in mind. And when we look at that difference of property increases on average, versus where that compares to the Fife market. It's not about houses, it's about your outgoings, isn't it? So for us, yeah. that's that's where we're trying to guide you on the whole balance of the discussion that we've been having in regards to how you can prioritise things um, for yourselves and, and make that realignment and rebalance in life. Perfect. And I'll, and I'll finish off with, I heard the other day, um, uh, the best advice ever from someone says, what do you think about this? What's going on in the war in Ukraine and everything like that? He said... Uh, if I can't influence it, I don't take any notice of it. It doesn't affect my plans. Because the reality is you can't do anything about it at all. You can help someone and you can contribute to it, but you can't change that situation by yourself. That's what the other people are there to do for you. So focus on you and what you need to do to get yourself moving forward and plan for your future. As I said before, and I come back to saying it, most people spend more time on planning their next holiday than probably ever have planned their financial future at all. I bet some people out there have not even planned their financial future. They've not even thought about it. And just mm -hmm. because I've actually said that, um, just because I've actually said that right now, it's like now hitting home with people. It's like I've never, I never used to do that at all. I mean, so like you know, that's that was the reality. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to do. What is the best thing you've probably got out of this so far, Perry? I think for me, it's about balance and perspective. I think yep. it's about really understanding your true picture versus what the media is sharing with us. It's about taking that financial health check on yourself as well, because I think that's really important. Morning, James, you make a comment there, James. Remember, where there is adversity, there is also an opportunity. That financial check is a massive opportunity for to help you put some more in your pocket where you're feeling that there might be a bit of a struggle. Um, and it's just about balancing the whole of your life, your wants, your needs versus what must happen yeah absolutely great advice and i'm going to finish on one thing i heard the other day as well great saying use the weekend to build the life you want not to escape the life you have bye-bye for next week and it's bye-bye from him <laughs> bye-bye from her <laughs> <laughs>